I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. Convo by Design is recorded in the Living Kitchen studio, and this week you're going to hear from an amazing talent and a wonderful guy. This is Peter Gursky, set decorator and the man behind the look and feel of Will & Grace. Peter is a multifaceted creative, meaning he is also an interior designer and has held multiple other roles within the art department, including production designer and art director. This is special for me, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Peter. He invited me to the Universal City Studios to walk the set and talk a little bit. We talked a lot, actually, about the business, his role and vision for the reboot of an immensely popular show with an extremely vocal fan base. Peter talks about the show, and more specifically the characters, who you got to know between 1998 and 2006, now reintroduced in 2017, and guess what? They've changed, just like you and me. Peter and his team imagined their personality and life development, but also incorporated who they were to deliver the same characters just 10 years later. It's brilliant. Peter captured the past work of set decorator Melinda Ritz, who worked on the first 10 seasons, and he moved on from there. We walked and talked, and you can see images from the set on our social media, and make sure to check out the YouTube channel for uh, a video from our time together. If you like this episode of the podcast, and I hope you do, uh, why not subscribe? Why not subscribe to the show? I mean, really, it's easy, it's fast, it's free, and you can find Convo by Design wherever you download your favorite podcasts. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for listening. Convo by Design is presented by Snyder Diamond, a family-owned and operated company serving LA's design and architecture community for over 70 years. They do this with superior customer service and provide world-class products like those from Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove. Three generations ago, Sub-Zero introduced refrigeration at standard depths of kitchen counters, and they've been perfecting that ever since. The idea of disappearing refrigeration is real and available with customized options on handles and panels that can blend in seamlessly. That's on the outside. Inside, you have proper humidity, temperature control, and purified air, the trifecta for freshness. Pair that with Wolf, handleless wall ovens and convection steam ovens for true integration and sleek look and feel. And with Wolf's advanced dual vertigross convection, you get remarkable results and reliable consistency, allowing you and your clients to be the absolute best you can be in the kitchen. And right now, Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove are offering, through the Grand Kitchen event, three years of protection or a $1,000 rebate. These offers are only for a limited time, so for details and to see the full line of Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove products, go to any of the three Los Angeles area Snyder Diamond locations. Now, you can also see their living kitchen in the Pasadena and Santa Monica Snyder Diamond showrooms. So go check them out. Thanks. When did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Oh, I know that answer. Uh, fifth grade. I love that. <laughs> there was a contest. Uh, of course, it's elementary school. They were doing a, a contest um, to design the backdrops for the Mikado because the whole school was involved. So you had to paint two little pictures so the school would paint two backdrops. So 
I did it and I won. And then so I kind of knew at that point it was like really cool to create a setting for a play. Like who knew that? Well, clearly you did. <laughs> at that point, yeah. Here's what's interesting. I, I love what you do. I'm enamored with the art department because you, many are fans. <laughs> many are you, fans of the art department. You you chose a profession where you are not the star. You're not saying a line. You're not appearing on camera. Mm-hmm. Yet without you, the job doesn't get done. And and you you can't say no. The, those in the art department and you don't say no. No, we don't say no. Uh, we say maybe 10 minutes from now, but we never say no. Uh, and I think that's the challenge is what's going to happen day to day. But on the show I'm on now on Will and Grace, it's pretty formulaic, but they're pretty exuberant in the places they like to go and what they like to do. And we're on such a short schedule, like one week uh, from start to finish of an episode. And many times we only know three or four days in advance uh, what we're going to be doing. So it's a scramble. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask you about. Unlike, you know, many have said to me that over the last few years, the the one thing that has changed dramatically in the business mm-hmm. is the lack of prep time that used to be a thing. The prep time isn't there. But with what, yeah. you, with what you're doing, you don't have prep time anyway. Yeah, so it's like negative prep time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think you just have to speed it up. I mean, we've adjusted for this show because sometimes we have a lot of last-minute changes and uh, things have to be adjusted or they're not quite right because there are a lot of voices that chime in about what is right and what is not right. So um, no matter how much I think I'm right, there's uh, someone above me telling me maybe not. But uh, we've adapted by... Um, by adding more crew. Like on this show, on any other multi-camera show, I would be running around shopping and doing all the other stuff, but I have a buyer on this show, so that takes the onus off of me. I can focus on the super creative things, and then, like if we have a hospital set, my buyer goes out and finds everything, and we go go over pictures and do approvals, but uh, we just add people to it because... Now there's no prep time at all. This is also an interesting project because it's a reboot of an already successful show. Did you feel any influence from the first version? Did you feel any pressure? No, no, absolutely. And pressure. I think pressure from the fans because there was so much fan interest in the show coming back. And they're really attentive fans. You know, they really are invested in the characters and and what the show looks like and what uh, Will and Grace's apartment looks like and what's in it. Um, and then also I was uh, influenced, of course, by Melinda Ritz, who was the first set decorator, and I was her assistant, and now I'm the set decorator. So when we approached reassembling the set, now I think everyone knows the story by now, but... Uh, the set was on display at Emerson College for 10 years behind glass walls, like a giant dollhouse. I mean, the whole thing. There was even candy in the candy dish, sat there for 10 years uh, because they had the producers, Ma- Max Muschnick and David Cohen, had, 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 had given Emerson an endowment. It's their, uh, it's their alma mater. So 
the set was there for 10 years. And then finally, uh, Emerson said, well, you have to take it back because we're tired of it or something. I don't know. So it sat in storage for about a year. And then they figured out doing the get out and vote um, political ad. Well, non try to be a non-political ad, but it was funny. Will and Grace funny. But that was the first time the cast had been together since they'd done the show. And the chemistry was amazing. They'd, they'd, they pulled the set, this set that's 10 years old, and we stuck it in the basement at CBS. It was totally top secret. And they had a top secret audience of 100 people, although to say it was pretty impressive industry people. Norman Lear was there. But when they moved, the, they had a makeshift curtain, like Mickey and Judy in the barn. And when they pulled it aside and the cast was there, it was an amazing moment because the audience didn't know it was going to be them. There was a gasp and then wild applause. So from that moment on, it was sort of a wild ride. But what we did was, since we had this set, which it never happens to have a set that's twenty, almost 20 years old, and all the furniture, and all the little tchotchkes, you never, ever have that. So we pretty much reassembled the set. The production designer redesigned some areas like the kitchen and the fireplace and some of the other architecture. But there's actual pieces of the original set, walls, they're antique walls, being 20 years old. And then there's actually, there's furniture. There's a lot of uh, Melinda that's uh, still in the set. There's a beautiful antique secretary that's still there. There's some artwork. But we were respectful to the fans because we didn't want them to be disoriented. So the, the geography of everything is pretty much the same. But everything's been heightened or freshened, as it would have in anybody's house after 10, 10 12 years, whatever. So... There's still a couch where the couch used to be, but it's a much better couch. It's a Joseph Jupe couch now. It's not whatever that was, Pottery Barn or whatever it was. Uh, and it's a great coffee table, but, you know, now it's, uh, oh, the name escapes me. It'll come back to me. So the enormously expensive coffee table. And then we have, uh, we threw in a layer of mid-century vintage so that he, at some point, Will had gone through that phase. But there's... A lot that's on the set, s small items and big, that are from the original set. And I think that is so great because it gives it such an air of authenticity. I think it's it's fun too. Talking about Melinda, yeah, I, I've had the I've had the pleasure of interviewing Melinda as well. You guys, you guys, <laughs> set decorators, you you play well in the sandbox, and it's not. I don't know how this is going to sound. It's not for a lack of ego. And right. It, and it's oh, there's, yeah. Right? We're kind of ego. Well, ego listen, you're a you're a creative. Yeah. You're, you're all creatives. Well, we have to have an opinion. If you do, if you can't come to the project with an, opin an opinion uh, that of what you want to do, and I mean, that's ego, but then you're no good if you don't have that. So I'm sorry, but yeah. No, yeah. no, that's where I was going. And I and I think it's really interesting that, that you all have, in what I've seen, such respect for each other. Right. And it's interesting too, you can take a project where Melinda was the set decorator on the on the right. first version and you were her assistant and cut to a new one. And I knowing Melinda, I'm sure she's thrilled for you. Well, you know, we we talked about it because I this show was so much about everyone coming back. And I think Max and Melinda had a discussion and I mean she won three Emmys on the show, and I think she felt like she'd done it. 
you know, and what was, would it, would it really be that great for her going back? And she had, when we started up again, she already had two amazing shows at CBS. So, um, I think, um, she's pleased with the results. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, and by the way, you're Peter, you're having quite a year. Congratulations. Oh, speaking, speaking of Emmys. Yeah. Um, Congratulations, your your we Emmy. Were, we were nominated, yeah. And and robbed, I might add. Okay. <laughs> so here's the thing, the the problem is, everyone keeps saying sitcoms uh, are on their way out. It's the death knell for sitcoms, and yet here we are, ten years later. There's still tons of sitcoms, but we compete with single camera work and sometimes that doesn't equate that's so. that's right and and it's it's not like well being nominated is enough right how many times <laughs> have we it's but it is it, it is it is a it is a recognition sure winning's great but yeah. it, the recognition for the work that you do and the 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 critical acclaim for the show and the way that it looks and the yeah. way that it feels the response that you've gotten has been nothing short of remarkable. It's phenomenal. I, I, I really haven't experienced anything like it. Um, we've had an Architectural Digest um, interview on about the set. We've had uh, Interiors did a beautiful spread on it. So there's been this whole lot of interest in what the set was uh, coming back. And to this day, sometimes if I hang around during filming, um, sometimes I'll talk to the audience about, they'll have, they have questions, you know, what, where's that thing from? How does that cost? How did, why did you pick that? And that's what I wanted to ask you yeah. about. So doing, doing in front of a live audience where you're getting feedback from the fans, it's not like traditional TV. Well, I guess it is like traditional TV, but it's, <laughs> but it's not like where it's something that's on TV and you can send an email or maybe you can tweet about right. it or someone can reach out that way. These people are sitting right there. Right. And if you choose to engage, which it sounds like you do, yeah. you're, getting, you're getting these questions. You're the, you're the curator. Uh, in a way, yes, we're... We're the curator, myself and the art department, absolutely, because um, they give me the environment, uh, the architecture, uh, and that is a whole discussion. Like, how do we keep it organic and yet update it so it's interesting and fresh? And plus, the camera technology is so different. I think when Will and Grace started, they were shooting on film. And now it's digital technology, which uh, is another beast in itself because of the detail it picks up and... You can't, it's hard to fake things. So we were really reticent to not use something that was real, quote unquote, real or authentic. Like I needed really to have a sofa that was, I mean, a $10,000 sofa because of the way it's built, or the way it's designed, uh, the way it sits in a room. I mean, you can tell all that now with uh, the digital format. It's brutal. It, it is, right? Yeah. It's like when HD... Yeah, first became a yeah. thing. It's it, it put it it put an entire generation of actors out of business. Yeah, and I have to I have to be careful because I, it's from the front of the set all the way to the back of the set. I have to make sure everything is correct because I don't know what the camera is going to pick up in a glance now. So, and it's interesting too because along those same lines, you you are a designer as well. You're an interior designer right. as well, and I wanted to ask you what. How do you feel about designing for a family or a client Mm -hmm. versus designing for a page? Well, 
designing for the page, I get to create my own little world. It's very much about being in your imagination, um, using, of course, the script as a guide, any notes you've gotten from the producer. But really, um, I get to be the client and the designer all at one. And really, when you're designing for the page too, it's not just about creating this uh, pretty picture that'll look good in a magazine spread. I have to add that extra layer of this person's life. How, how do I um, present this to the audience so that um, this apartment that they live in tells their story? So it's about storytelling. It's about storytelling. And so, so on the other side, uh, designing for a family, um, I feel like I'm acting more like a translator. Like they, <laughs> everyone's so design savvy now and they'll come to me with ideas and tear sheets and stuff. So I feel like my job a lot of the times is to take that, edit it down and create the best version of what they want. Like I bring the design sense to it. I bring some new ideas that fit into what they want to do, but heightens the whole thing. So, well, it's also when you're designing for a family, you're designing for how they how they live, regardless right. of who's watching. Correct. But it's interesting because when you're designing for a show or for a script or for a fictional character, do you approach it as if it's them, or do you approach it as if it's from the perspective? of the people who are watching them to fit the expectation that the audience may have? I think that because the audience is so diverse and varied, um, I don't think I could fit all their opinions into one design and have it be cohesive. So I definitely have to design from the point of view of the character. But also if I am true to that and I enrich the set with details that are a part of the character, like pictures or things that are on a desk or the type of flatware they have. Or even we like to, I like to um, dress the interiors of the drawers, even if they don't get opened on camera or if you don't see them, because I want the actor to open it up and have that inside of that drawer be a part of their life. So it's about, um, it's about curating their life. And back to cur curating. Back to curating. Which, by the way, I, I love that because, you know, I've, I've long held the idea that designers are, are curators. Um, you're, you're not going to be there for the whole, for the whole lifespan of the, yeah. of the client. Many are. You yeah. know, they'll come back and do a refresh and do, but, or they'll do a vacation home or they'll do. Right. You're one of I've them. I've done that, yeah. Mm -hmm. But with the character, it's so interesting because you can, you can have sort of that impact whether it's actually seen or not. It's like, guess what? He loves the orange Tic Tacs. Someone says, well, yeah. no, he doesn't. It's like, yeah, he does. There's a whole drawer full yeah, of them on right. the seat. You've never seen it, right. but trust me. Right. Which I think is just kind of cool. Or he, I like to do things like if it's a desk, what kind of pen does he have? Uh, I think Will is the kind of a OCD freak where I always make sure he has one kind of felt pen in black, and that's the only thing there. And then if he has pencils, it's a mechanical pencil in gray or black, and they're all the same in one pencil cup. So it's very specific for him and the way the paper works on his desk or his, his computer, everything is all, I think, thought out for him. So 
silly pedestrian question. Please. <laughs> do you do you ever do you plant any Easter eggs? Do you plant all the time? Do Easter you... eggs are the best now, and I think audiences uh, expect them. So there's um, we just did uh, a scene that uh, one of the characters is getting married, and they have a bachelorette, or maybe it's a bachelor party, and um, it's the morning after. So as the camera pans through, we have tons of Easter eggs. You know, it's like, you know, in the aftermath of a party, your place is a wreck, right? So it was a teardown, drag-out party. But we had done photos of everyone uh, on the crew, like the tiny little Polaroids, and then threw them on the ground. So when the camera pans by, it picks up someone. There's only we're going to know who it is, but it looks like someone drunk at a party. <laughs> so we like to do – we go far for our Easter eggs. We go far. Well, and that's the other thing, too. Do you – because the fans are the way they are. Yeah. Do you do you ever get to follow along when someone discovers something? And it's like, wow, I, that was so obscure. I'm surprised that they found it, but they find it. They find it all. Uh, I had someone ask me. Uh, I took a question from the audience. She goes, I noticed when they opened the kitchen cupboard that there are like 20 coffee cups. And why are there only coffee cups in that cupboard? And what was your idea behind that? I was like astounded because... Really, the cupboard with the coffee cups is there because it's more of a prop cupboard and that's where they get their coffee every time. So it's more of a practical uh, effort than a design effort. But they had actually taken the time to like eyeball that thing and not watch what was going on between the characters, but, but to look at the cupboard. So Well, and that's what's interesting too, is you have to be, just like a minute ago when you were explaining a scenario to me and yeah. it's like it's it's a, may he may be getting married or or she yeah. may be getting yeah. married or you always have to be on your toes yeah you can't slip up and here's what's interesting when you're designing does I, design is so personal that you're doing it for the for, it, it's whatever might just be top of mind because you're thinking about a job but you, right. you can't do that uh well, I think bec I think because I uh, I'm always inside of the the character's head, I think that ma it makes it easy for me to transition to someone's personal life because I don't I don't uh, think s second about you know asking a client about their personal home about where they put their underwear or anything because I do that for on set. It's like so it doesn't bother me. Like I don't care <laughs> where do you you know. So uh, I think that. The thing I have to always be um, mindful of is as long as my decisions don't get in front of the script and, you know, sometimes the executive producers have a specific request, so I just have to be mindful of that. Do you ask the actors where the character would put it, put their underwear or do you decide for them? Oh, I decide. <laughs> oh, I decide. But, you know, that's me ahead of time. Like, I dress the sets before the actors come on, but it's super gratifying, especially... When you get the set dressed and the actors come down and see it for the first okay, time. Okay, wait, 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 stop. Oh. Stop. Stop. Okay. Because, and forgive me. <laughs> I'm going to stop you because. Jumping the shark. No, I'm, I'm going to stop you because I want to set this up. Okay. Because this is actually where I was, where I was going. Okay. You, you got ahead of me. Okay. I think it is one of the most special parts of the job your job as a set decorator. Mm -hmm. 
you open the set. Mm-hmm. You're the one. So you've done all your work. You've done all the prep. You set it up. You establish it. And everyone comes in. It's not shot until you open it. Right. And I, I've gotten different points of view, and I'm dying to know, especially because of the history of this particular show. Mm-hmm. I Oops. want. <laughs> I, I want to know what it. I want to know what it was like for you, when when you opened this particular set. Mm-hmm. What was the reaction? Uh, for the first time when they saw the set. Again, yeah. Um, it was uh, amazing. It's like you're a proud parent, um, and normally. I mean, for all the ego and all the talking to the audience and all uh, being out front, introducing the set and everything, we like to be a little stealthy in our job. We, we don't, I don't want to ruin all the magic in creating a set. And sometimes with the interest the audience takes, they really want to get into the details. And I want to leave some of the mystery about it. So when we, op- when we opened this set, I just stood back and let them go into the set and discover it because their reactions were so uh, amazing and honest and they were so enthusiastic about it and it was like coming back home for them so they all ran around the set like little kids like oh look at this oh look at that look at that thing look at that thing oh i remember this and they had um they had hidden uh script notes from one of the guest actors um John Ritter, I think it was, in one of the boxes on set. So, and we still had it. So it was, it was still there for them to discover, and that was so amazing for them. So it was great to be able to uh, stand back. I like to stand back when they first. I, I don't want to be in the middle of it. I want them to discover it. I don't want to give them a tour, and I want to see their honest reaction. But for this set, introducing it was amazing. It's a highlight. I would imagine it is, especially, and, and, you know, not to overplay this, right? But Mm -hmm. in thinking about this show in particular, 20 plus years, the set was under glass, you know, it was moved, it was moved around a little bit and characters have to change over time. Right. They have to, because people change over time. And look, you were working on this set originally in one capacity. Right. And you come back and now you're working on the set in another capacity. You have changed. That's right. And so, but you're working with people that you worked with originally. And it's got to be kind of interesting. It's got to be surreal. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I just, yeah, I just walk on set some days and it's kind of kooky. Because it's all the same cameraman, same director, uh, some of the same writers, same producers. So... It's a little like deja vu, uh, but it's a little like when you come home from college, you know, they're a little different and you're a little different, but you just sort of have to mash it all up again together. What are, what are some of your favorite, aside from Will and Grace? Yeah. Um, because clearly I can tell that this is a, this is a, this is a passion point. This is family. Mm-hmm. This, this isn't a job. This is family. Yeah. Um, aside from Will and Grace, what are some of your other favorite projects? Well, I think this really is sort of a pinnacle uh, for me, and it sort of tops the list. Um, I also did um, the reboot of Fuller House, which was super fun just because it was such a goofy uh, 80s show. 
and even older than Will and Grace. It'd been off the air like 23 years or something. That's crazy. That was fun to do. Um, and then recently I did a project that was very, felt very current because we created a, um, uh, dispensary, a weed dispensary in Silver Lake, California. So very familiar with, uh, California. And although I don't partake, it was super interesting to be able to create the space where these people meet and, uh, got to build a grow room and, Kathy Bates was the owner. It was really great to to work with her. I mean, that was another great set reveal. So there's been some interesting projects in the last five years. It's so much uh, television is being produced. Uh, it's so many great opportunities. And when you have a project, you know, back to Will and Grace for a second, mm-hmm. where, where you're producing on the lot, it, it, talk about a grow room. You know, that's what the that's what the studio is. I love working on a studio lot. Um, Universal is great. There's still all the facilities for doing everything here. I love working at Warner Brothers a little bit more uh, because Warner Brothers still has that old-fashioned feel to it. It does. And uh, here it's a little more because of the overwhelming um, presence of the theme park that's right on top of you on the hill. It's... You know, there's a lot of other activity, but when you go to Warner Brothers, it's sort of going back in time almost because those studios have been that way since they built it in, you know, the early 30s, late 20s, early 30s. And I, and I love the I love the story of the Warner Brothers lot where, you know, the brothers are are doing are doing their their silent their silent pictures. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, the talkies come. It's yeah. like, well, guess what? This is could you imagine being at the studio at the time where you're going from silent pictures mm-hmm. to, to talkies. Yeah. And all of the, the way your job would have to change to right. accommodate. Right. Um, I think that uh, there's a lot of ways. I think when they expanded to um, sound, they also expanded uh, the depth of sets perhaps and, uh, uh, more of the detail, and at the same time, sound was getting better, lighting was getting better, the camera technology was getting better. So I think as it was moving along, everything had to sort of elevate along with those uh, technology advances. And normally, what when whatever your job is, normally, some people yeah. have jobs that nobody wants. Right. But normally, yeah, people have a job where someone's going to say, wow, your job is so cool. You have a job where most people are going to say, your job is so cool. I'd have to agree. <laughs> you Do you still feel that way? Absolutely. I was sort of uh, an aimless child coming out of high school, and uh, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I found myself in theater, and from there, set designing and uh, set painting, And that led me to working on television commercials, which led me to working on TV shows. And I've worked on movies and music videos as well. So I feel really lucky that I found my profession because I just had to have a, I think, trust that it was going to happen. Because I I couldn't have told you that this is what I would be doing. But it's just, it's an amazing job. More than that, though is you talk about Warner Brothers. Yeah. As a set decorator, 
you know, you have carte blanche to the props department. Correct. And you're walking through the, what do you say there? The, each floor is the size of a football field? Right. It's enormous. It's got to be, right? In five stories? It's enormous, yeah. And uh, there's so much history. They've been doing a lot of renovating over there and saving some of the antiques. They had amazing uh, green and green cabinetry uh, from the turn of the century that was had been sitting in a back room for years. And some of that stuff they've removed and sent to auction. They had some amazing um, crystal opera chandeliers, torsiers that were 11 feet tall. They were Baccarat crystal, the entire thing. From Marathon Marathon Man. Right. But they go back even further. I think um, the earliest reference I know is the Red Shoe uh, Diaries in 1948. And it might have even been in a picture called um, Casino in 1943. But we know they must have been purchased somewhere along the line. But they were... Um, two of nine or two of 13 that were built for the Tsar uh, of Russia. And some of them never got delivered from Baccarat because the whole family was assassinated. So uh, it's amazing. They never went out because they were too expensive. They finally sent them to auction. And they sold for a million and a half dollars a piece. The, the word on that was that it got too expensive to insure Right. And the guy who knew how to take it apart, you know, retired. So what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like one guy who knew how to take it apart. Well, they, and said, they actually had someone come out from Baccarat to certify them, fix some of the crystals that were broken. And uh, but they was those were amazing pieces. But it was really just a storehouse of history because you can still go through today and there's props and items that they've marked out because the tour goes through there now uh, that are from movies from the 40s and even the 30s. Well, it was interesting, too, because in 2012, I did a design house in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And I was working with, with Warner Brothers at the time, and, and they were one of our sponsors. And I, the designer, I got to take the designers over there, and mm -hmm. they, they selected some pieces, one of yeah. which was this mid-century stand-up lamp. Yeah. And it was like, you know, we're not sure, but this could be... Could be the real thing. Yeah. yeah. And it could be. It always could be. Uh, it's the amazing thing that um, it was such a repository for amazing decorative items and lamps or lighting or chairs or cabinetry or whatever. And it's like a time capsule because sometimes it gets rented and sometimes it just sits there for years and years and years because it gets shoved to the back of the wall and nobody ever sees it. And so my, my original question to you was going to yeah. be, and I, by the way, I just love getting completely sidetracked on that <laughs> totally tangent, right? The, but the original question was, do you, do you ever just go, even when you're not working, do you just sort of just go and go for a walk just to look through some of this stuff just to see, I mean, of course it's, I'm, I'm on a job, I'm doing this officially, yeah. but, but it, to walk through and to see some of these things, it's just amazing. Well, what I love now is seeing uh, other colleagues work to see what they're doing to uh, sort of refresh my brain to see somebody else's viewpoint. Um, the prop houses, I'm so in love with them. Um, but even with as busy as the business is, there's uh, one of the oldest prop houses, Omega Cinema Props, is, is about set to close, which is a huge tragedy in my book. But they're trying to save it and get somebody to buy it. But... Um, I don't, I get enough of walking through the prop houses, but when I do it on a daily basis, I am wowed. But I was, I have to tell you, 
the Warner Brothers prop house is a little bit haunted because I was in there late one night. Everyone goes home at six and they left a side door open for me because I had to get a comforter or some pillows or something that I'd forgotten for a set that I needed. And they have the automatic lights that turn on and off as you walk through the hallways. But I'm like, it is creepy up there. And just as I was leaving with my little cart full of stuff, I I had a ghost. <laughs> Sorry, Kev, I sound like an idiot saying it. But I had a ghost right behind me. I didn't see it, but it laughed right in my ear. Like out loud. Like a stupid ghost laugh you'd hear on Scooby-Doo. Like, ah, like that. And I was like, what is, like, I look around, like there was no trick speaker. There was no uh, hidden sound box or anything. It was like the real thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm leaving now. So no, I don't really pursue walking around the prop house anymore. Fair enough. (laughs) But I heard that they're, they're, they're playful ghosts. Uh, Yes, they're playful ghosts. Apparently they say one of them is Mrs. Warner and she's playing bridge up on the third floor every other Saturday or something. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, I do appreciate, um, because I'm a lover of uh, preservation, I do love seeing the old furniture and um, all the other stuff that's, you know, that's been kept alive, you know, because it sat in a prop house. And and I I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that because I, you know, back to the curation aspect, you know, saving iconic pieces and architecture and design once you put it on film tape digital once it's recorded you have it you have it but we've become we hollywood has always been known as you know such a disposable industry right right but there seems to be more of a priority to save worthy objects mm-hmm. and worthy things uh, yes, there is. And I think it's reflected in the way the prop houses manage their inventory now. They're more careful uh, with the more expensive or historical items. Um, they have someone on staff that's, uh, at least at Warner Brothers, they did. They were gleaning through all the stuff to make sure stuff hadn't been mislabeled or that they were aware of all the precious antiques um, that they had in stock. So there's... I think because of the rise of the internet and Pinterest and all, um, all this detail about people taking in, putting what it is out there so everyone can see it, I think that really everyone had to up their game. Like you couldn't go to get away with throwing stuff in there expeditiously just to get something in there. You have to be really careful about what you do and make um, solid choices about you know, and educated choices about what you're using. Do you have a dream project? I think it's the show right now. It is? Yeah. Did, I li- uh, Literally, the studio is three blocks from my house. I can't. And <laughs> How much better does it get in L.A. so you don't have to commute? Right. And because the show is as iconic as it is and yeah. because the cast, you know, has a, has a remarkable reputation, cast and crew of this particular project has a remarkable reputation yeah. it's it is like a family yeah it I've, I've heard that and so is there because tv is what it is is there always this pressure it's like how do i t- how do, 
this can't be the best. How do I top this? Do you ever, does that ever cross your mind? Yes, I've thought that. Yes, how do I top this? And what have you come up with? Well, we have another season after this, and that'll make three seasons in total for the reunion. Maybe there'll be something after that. But I think the most important thing is to be in the moment with it and enjoy it now. Because I've always uh, been an industry gypsy where you go from one project to the next. So the fact that I'm on this for three years is great. And I'm going to love it while I'm here. And then I don't know how, but maybe there's something better past this. But I'm going to enjoy the better right now. And and the only the last question I had is with regard to process mm-hmm. and how this because you know on set today yeah seeing how every set is you know it's there it's right next to each other yeah you're not you're not going on location here and then no. moving and striking and then going to a new location everything's here except for exteriors and and that's right but that's different do you like having everything here and are you one of those decorators that can go f- from one from one room to the next, even though you're not necessarily shooting in order, does that ever does that ever throw you or? No, that never throws me. I can go from one set to the next. I mean, I came from the theater world, being raised up with that, so I love that. Uh, what we do is almost proscenium like, uh, with the fourth wall gone and presenting it to the audience. Uh, so I love that. I'm very comfortable with that format. I love it more. I've worked. I'd love it more than multi-camera. I've worked in multi-camera, but you're mostly, if you're not in uh, this, the the home set, which is four walls, uh, you're on location. So you're really just throwing some crap in a room. And the first thing that happens when grip and electric comes, like, okay, move that half of the room, you know? So you never really get to see a presented uh, set rarely. Um, but that's why I enjoy this work so much is because I can present a beautiful finished tableau that tells a story and I present that to the audience every week. And I really like that. And, and I can see why, and it's a beautiful story that you're telling. And thank you for the invitation to come down and see this and to talk. This has been an absolute joy. Thank you so much, Josh. I'm glad we were able to get it together. I know, but how, how, how long have we been working know, on this? Months. It, it months. Has, since August, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what? It's, Peter, thanks. (laughs) Thank you so much. Convo by Design is proud to be working with Vendome Furniture. Design culture, it's the key to their success. It's what pushes them to consistently create new collections that give spaces a new dimension. They create dialogue between environment and form. Vondam pieces can transform the simplest space into one filled with glamour that is both unique and extraordinary. And isn't that what design is all about? Creating atmospheres where you can take hold of life and enjoy it to the fullest? Vondam products are simple and elegant, contemporary and exceptionally comfortable. Their crafted, modern, durable, molded resin, glass, and metal designs are unique and they beg to be enjoyed. They search the planet for the right designers that embody the Vandam spirit and work together to create remarkable pieces into an exclusively Vandam mode of expression. And if you haven't seen Vandam before, you can check them out in uh, some of the Convo by Design videos you'll find on our YouTube channel. But you can find them in their showrooms at the D&D building in New York, Wynwood in Miami, 
and the Pacific Design Center here in LA or online at vondom.com.